Amen. Good morning. If you would turn with me to uh, Luke's Gospel. We've been looking at the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. And before we get started, I just wanted to uh, point you to a couple of resources that we have in the back. Uh, if you've never noticed, this, we have a resource table over here, and there's a little book stall on there that has these mini books. So right here I've got uh, Forgiving Others and Hope for the Depressed. I would just encourage you to, to swing by that book stand. These mini books are only a dollar. Um, short, easy read resources uh, that would be beneficial for your soul. So I encourage you. There's also there's a variety of books out there on that stand. Please uh, please grab one today. Uh, hopefully that nourishes you. Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse 35. If you're using the uh, if you're using the pew Bible there, it's page 871. Luke 12, verse 35. Let's give attention to God's Word. Jesus says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he wouldn't have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master's delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not know, excuse me, when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished." Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. These are hard words. These are the words of the Lord. 
And so we can give thanks and ask for his help in understanding and applying them to our lives. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, if we were honest, we probably would rather avoid passages like this. It does not fit a neat and tidy narrative uh, that we have of you, Lord Jesus. Or maybe in some cases it fits all too precisely. And it's the reason we want to avoid it is that it scares us to death. So Lord, would you help us to understand what it is that you're saying to us? What these words mean for us, what they, what they meant to those, uh, who heard them originally and what they so mean for us. God, Holy Spirit, would you give us grace to hear, to listen, to hear it in our hearts, to trust you and to be changed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been lost? Uh, I, when I lived in Meridian, Mississippi, one of the one of the things that that city had going for it is that there was a really large park called Bonita Lakes, uh, and it was uh, it was woods around two large lakes, and so I would often go running uh, around on the trails that were around the the larger lake. Uh, and one day I decided to, uh, as as the poem goes, choose the road less traveled. And you should just know that if you choose the road less traveled. You will likely, it will likely take you to a road never traveled or to no road at all. And so I found myself standing in the middle of the woods at dusk with no path uh, and no clue where I was. Um, and if you've, you've never, if you've never been lost, the, the first sensation that you feel when lost is panic, right? You're, your world kind of collapses in because everything around you looks the same. A pine tree is a pine tree is a pine tree. Right? And what, and what happens is the reason that you panic and really the reason that you get lost and maybe even walk around in circles is that you, you lose perspective, right? You, what you need to get unlost, what you need to get unstuck is some bigger picture, right? You need, you need something or some things that are going to tell you where you are, right? Something that's going to pull you back out of that, that place where all you can see is what's right in front of you. Uh, something like landmarks, the direction of the sun, a compass, a map. That would be really huge. This, of course, was at a time when uh, there were no smartphones, there were not GPS watches, so we just had to rely on good old... You know, the sun's setting over here, and I think I came from that way, so let's head that way and see if we find the trail again. But you need something that's going to pull you out of that stuck place where everything you see is just what's right in front of you and give you some perspective, a bigger picture. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in, in Luke chapter 12. This, this whole chapter uh, could be kind of summarized under, right, he, what he's doing is is uh, as he travels down to Jerusalem, Jesus is, Jesus is making this long trek from his home in Galilee in the north down south to Jerusalem. And as he goes, he's teaching his disciples a number of things, uh, a lot of teaching in this section of Luke. And in this chapter in particular, he is reorienting our perspective on life, right? He's, uh, 
He's trying to get us to take our eyes off of the things that are locked in front of us uh, and, and set them at a fixed point in the future. So, for instance, uh, in verses 1 through 12, he talks about fearing God instead of fearing people, right? We fear other people, their opinions, their power over us. Uh, we bend the knee to society's expectations, to our parents' expectations, to the pastor's expectations. Uh, or more often than not, we bow the knee to the opinions of those we want to impress. And what Jesus does is he reorients us, right? He gives us, uh, he gives us the true north. He says, don't, don't fear those who can only kill the body. Fear God, right? He tells us there's a, there's a wrong kind of fear and a right kind of fear. Reorient your fear to the right kind, right? So he points us away from our fear of man. And then last week, what we saw is uh, what we treasure. We tend to trust our possessions, whether we, whether we have lots of possessions or we have very little. We tend to trust those as a means of security, a means of comfort. Uh, we get our meaning from our stuff. And what happens then is we panic. As soon as our, as soon as our stuff is threatened, right, we panic or we worry about not having enough, right, or we find ourselves constantly seeking to fill a cup that's always leaking. And what Jesus does, again, our eyes are locked on the stuff we can see right in front of us. And what Jesus does is he reorients our gaze, right? He sets us at a fixed point. In the future, and he says, seek God's kingdom. Your father loves you. He will take care of you. Seek his kingdom. Store up treasure in heaven. Nobody's going to take it there. It won't be lost in a recession. Uh, it can't be destroyed. Put your treasure, put your treasure in heaven, not here. Seek your meaning and security in God's kingdom, not here. And I think Jesus is doing the very same thing in today's passage, right? He is, he is pointing us to his future return, uh, showing us the bigger picture uh, so that we can see what our place in history is, right? So, uh, or to use a different set of images, the image that he develops in this passage, right? It's all about mastery. Uh, who or what will you be mastered by? Will you be mastered by other people's opinions of you? Then you can find yourself severely disappointed as those opinions always fluctuate. Will you be mastered by your stuff? Will you be mastered by material? Then again, you will be constantly discouraged and deflated. And then Jesus, today, we're, we're going to look at where Jesus talks about his own return as the master and what it means for us to set our hearts on him as our master and to live for his kingdom. And so, really, there's just, there's just two things that I want us to, to pull out of this and, uh, seeking, right, overall, seeking God's kingdom means not that we sit in the hot tub, right? Seeking God's kingdom means that we will live in expectation of the king's return. That, that, that Jesus' one day, someday return actually spirals backwards into the present day. That what Jesus, that the fact that Jesus will one day come, come back affects how I live here and now. It's what Tim read in our confession of sin, that grace has appeared and it has saved us and now we wait expectantly for His return. 
And so the question that I want you to ask as we walk through this today is, are you living in expectation? Is there some kingdom urgency to your life? Is there some kingdom urgency to my life? Am I living now in expectation of Jesus' return then? Jesus gives us a few images to help us. Overall, I think there's two things uh, that we need to embrace if we're going to be living in expectation of his return. The first thing is we need to embrace the life of a servant. We need to know our role. We need to understand where we fit into this story of Jesus's. And then we need to embrace and understand that when Jesus comes, he brings division. That Jesus's very presence separates humanity. And that, that means some uncomfortable truths uh, that come with that. So let's talk about what it means to be, uh, what it, what it means to embrace the life of a servant. Uh, to be truly oriented in Jesus, Jesus' story, you have to realize the part that you play. Um, if you've ever been, uh, if you've ever been in drama or in theater, not, not drama in like the, Facebook sense, but like real drama, uh, right? If you've ever, if you've ever, if you've ever been in a play, right, and you've gotten a script and you see all the characters on the left and and their lines on the right, uh, just imagine how confusing it would be if you had someone on stage who didn't understand what part they were supposed to play, and so every time your lines came up, you would start, but then they would start talking over you, right? Uh, and then it would come to their lines, and they would do those. And then it would come to so and so's lines, and they would do those. Right? That they kept, they kept assuming the wrong part in the drama. Well, Jesus wants us to know and understand what part it is that we play. That we are in the role of the servant, not the master. And actually, verse thirty-five there, he gives us an image that really summarizes. But the action of the whole of the whole passage, right? He says, "Stay dressed for action." Um, he uses a Hebrew phrase, "Gird up your loins," and just so we're clear, your loins are the sides. Okay, here's what that here's what that means. When Jesus says, "Keep your loins girded," stay dressed for action. Here's what that means. In Jesus's day, uh, everyone wore long cloaks, which probably looked great. Uh, felt great, but was really, uh, really got in the way of doing serious work. If you wanted to run, if you wanted to battle, if you had to do some serious work, your cloak would get in the way. And so what they would do is they would, they would pull the, they would pull the ends of the robe up, wrap them around their thighs and tuck them into their belts. And now their legs were free to move. So it's the picture of readiness. So Jesus says, stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning, right? These two images of being, of, of watchful readiness, always ready to serve. Think of the, the Boy Scout motto, be prepared, which unfortunately as a young scout, I thought meant like take everything you could possibly imagine in your bag for the week. That is not what it means to be prepared. Uh, that was over-prepared and you find yourself woefully unprepared for the trek to the campsite if everything is in your bag. Um, so Jesus basically says, stay ready, stay prepared, be always watching. He says, be like servants who are waiting for their master to get home from the wedding feast. 
A wedding feast could take a whole week. A master could be gone for a whole week, and it could go long into the night. Jesus says, you want to be those servants who are ready at the door when the master knocks. You don't want, ha- you don't want him to be standing out in the cold, beating on the door. You want to be ready to open as soon as he knocks. And so, the good servant is someone who is always ready. Because the master could come back when he's least expected. He could come back at the, in the middle of the night, the second or the third watch. Uh, maybe like a thief, right? Uh, a thief doesn't call ahead before he comes to rob the house. He doesn't say, hey, I'm thinking Tuesday between 10 and 11. You guys going to be home? Right? No thief does that. Uh, in the same way, Jesus says his return will be unannounced. We, we don't know when to expect it. Jesus would even say later, he did not know the date or time. Which means, just as an aside, we should probably stop worrying about it. Um, rolling, uh, rolling yards is huge in our neighborhood for some strange reason. Uh, you roll your friends here. And so, uh, our across the street neighbor has been rolled, uh, and I mean rolled, like three weekends in a row. Um, our, da- our da- in fact, last weekend, three of our neighbors and us were all rolled together. Uh, so there's a lot of toilet paper in our, in our yard. Well, there's not, not anymore, but there's a lot of toilet paper in our street right now. Um, and so what that means is that, and this maybe sounds a little bit counterintuitive. So here's what our neighbors do. They cut the lights off and they hide in the bushes. So that they don either all black or they don camo. Um, one of our neighbors actually built a, uh, a little PVC pipe contraption that he can launch bottle rockets out of. Uh, but, but they hide in the bushes and wait for the rollers. Because the only thing more fun than rolling your friend is scaring your friend to death when they try to roll you. In fact, one, one of our neighbors said, uh, he got, he got one group so good a couple of years ago. I, th- I think he said it was a, it was a family. Uh, he scared them so bad that like the whole family ran and jumped in the car and left one of their kids behind. <laughs> they had to come back and get him, right? But during this time of year, our neighbors are always vigilant, right? They are, they are, they are waiting in the bushes until like midnight, one o'clock to make sure no one is going to roll their yards. Jesus is telling us to be always ready, always vigilant. So what does that mean? What does it mean for us to be dressed for action, to be ready for Jesus's return? Why, why does that reorient us? Why is that something that, why should that change the way that we live now? And how should it change the way that we live now? Well, I think, I think Jesus gives us a hint, uh, when he answers Peter's question. Peter asks, now, now Lord, who are you saying this for? And I love the way the frustrating way that Jesus answers questions. Because he never really answers the question. Right? He, he, he answers the question with a question. Um, and what he tells Peter is this story about a chief steward. Now, a steward would be the, the top servant. Right? Someone who the master entrusts with 
authority over the rest of the property and over the other servants. And and a good steward would make sure that everything in the house got done, uh, would make sure that all the other servants got the food they were supposed to get at the right time. So it's the steward's job to manage the house well while the owner, while the master is away. And Jesus says, blessed is the servant uh, that is doing all of that when the master returns, that he find that the, that the master comes back and the steward's done everything as he's supposed to do. But then he gives the example of the bad steward, someone who takes advantage of his master's delay, says, mm, he won't be back for some time, and begins to abuse his authority. He beats the other servants. He hoards the food and the drink and gets drunk. Now, why does he do that? What is it that causes him to do, to, to be that way? And I think it's this. He forgets his place. He forgets that he has a master that he is accountable to. And so, having lost his accountability, having lost his sense of place, he begins to assume the master's role. He begins to take advantage of the authority that he's been given. He, he begins to abuse the gifts that he's been given. And we see the result. That, he, that, that the master arrives at a time when he was not expected, at an hour that the, the servant wasn't looking for him, and he takes action. Right? And so... One thing at least we can say about embracing the life of a servant in terms of practically what does this look like. To be a good servant is to remember that you belong to another. That you are not your own, but belong body and soul to the risen Lord Jesus. I'm not the master. My priorities and my work are not determined by me, but by him. That's what it means to embrace the life of a servant. I belong to another. And though he is long delayed, he will return. And every servant will give an account of how they have spent their time and gifts. Jesus, Jesus basically gives us four examples. Right? We have the, we have the, we have the, the bad steward who totally rejects the master's authority. And it says that when the master returns, he's actually cut in pieces. Pretty gruesome image. And then he's, and he's set outside with the unfaithful. And so this is a, this is a picture of, of Jesus' wrath, of God's wrath against the unfaithful servant, who in rejecting, he rejects the master's authority, so he himself ends up rejected. And then Jesus gives us three other uh, three other examples. There's the servant who knew the master's will, but didn't do it or get ready, and so he receives a severe beating. Then there's the one who was ignorant of his master's will, but he's, he, he receives discipline, but lighter discipline, less severe. And then finally, you have the servant who did exactly what he was asked to do. He used the gifts he was given, he worked on the master's behalf, and he receives the full favor of his master. And so the message is, be ready for Jesus' return by being a faithful servant. And the way that you do that is by knowing and doing His will. Jesus then gives a second. We're going we're gonna to come back to that faithful servant thing, but before we talk 
uh, before we do that, let's talk about what it means to embrace the division that Jesus brings. Jesus uh, changes the subject a little bit by focusing on the here and now. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. These are uh, very difficult words of Jesus. Um, hard, hard, maybe, maybe not always hard to understand, but certainly hard to swallow. It doesn't always fit the nice cultural picture of Jesus we have, you know, who's kind of, you know, Jesus meek and mild. Here we see Jesus in his role as the coming judge who comes to pour out fire. And this is a judgment that separates humanity. Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And we think he's talking about basically being inundated, overwhelmed by God's wrath. He's talking about the cross uh, when he will bear the punishment of the sins of man. But he says something interesting. He says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? Think back, think back to Luke chapter 2, one of the famous Christmas passages. And what do the angels sing? Peace on earth to those whom his, on whom his favor rests. Like, well sure, Jesus does come to bring peace. But what Jesus is doing is trying to shock his audience. Yes, Jesus does bring peace. Peace. The gospel is a gospel of peace. He is the prince of peace, but it is not peace if you do not receive him. It is not peace for those who reject Jesus. Jesus is issuing a challenge. He's basically saying that, that when he comes, he will separate humanity. When Wade prayed, he talked about, uh, Countries where Islam is, uh, where Islam is practiced in particular, uh, where it's against the law to be converted, uh, to Christianity. Really, it's against the law to be anything other than Muslim in some places. And so the result is that if someone comes to faith, they lose their family. I get a, I get a weekly email from the voice of the martyrs. It's a, it's a prayer email and constantly stories of of, of women who come to faith and their husbands kick them out with their children. Leave them on the street. They have to, they have to find somewhere else, else to live. Or villages where a family will come to Christ and the rest of the village rejects them. Uh, people who've had their homes destroyed, their bodies beaten, their lives taken. Jesus says, this is what happens when I Come, I bring division that, that people will be divided along the Jesus line. And if you are for him, you can expect rejection from those who are against him. Not a very comforting thought. He says, from now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. So imagine a family of five. Even here, we're prone to think that the family unit is sacred and inviolable, right? That, that this is, this is the core of what makes us, the family is more important than anything else. Jesus says, no, it's not. That 
that when I come, I even divide families. That there will be those in the family who embrace me, and there will be those in the family who reject me. I bring division even to the family level. And we have to embrace that that's true. That when Jesus comes, He brings not just peace, He also brings division. And we will not be ready, right? And, and we can tie this to the other one, right? That if, that if I'm not ready to expect rejection, then I'm not ready for Jesus' return. In fact, it's very likely that many will look at Jesus and say, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth being ready. It's not worth facing the rejection even of those closest to me. How do we do that? How do we embrace the life of a servant? How do we embrace the division that comes with Jesus? Well, I want to, I want to point you to something that Jesus says here, uh, cause these passages scare me to death. Right? How, how many of us can say, yeah, I'm a faithful servant. All the gifts that God has given me, I've used to His glory. Uh, when, uh, when the role is called up yonder, I'll be, I'll gladly say, right here, I did everything I was supposed to do. Everything that God has given me, I've used to love Him and serve others. I haven't been lazy. I haven't been self-indulgent. Haven't been negligent. I don't, I don't think I can say that. And I don't know about you. But it's interesting that when Jesus says he has a baptism to be baptized with, he's referring to the cross. That fire that comes, Jesus actually places himself underneath it. He comes and he is overwhelmed with the fire of God's judgment. Now that's not really fair, is it? Think about, think about those pictures of servants. Who's the faithful servant? Who's the one who's done everything right? Who's the one who constantly said, I have not come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me? Jesus. Time and time again. And Jesus' job, his faithful service, meant going to the cross. Meant being baptized with God's judgment. Why? So that unfaithful servants could go free. So that those who aren't as faithful as they should have been can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Look at Jesus' character when he says, any servant who opens the door to him, Jesus says he will come in and he will dress himself for service. And he will, he will dine with his servants. That's unheard of. The king says he will dress himself and serve his people and eat with them. And we see a picture of that, of Jesus in John 13, when he washes the disciples' feet. This is the kind of king we serve. This is the kind of king we love. This is the kind of king who loves us. So if we're going to embrace the life of a servant, all we need to do is look to Jesus if we're going to embrace the division that Jesus brings, then we need to embrace that He is the true servant. Not only is He the master, but He's a master who comes as a servant. On the cross, He's the one who's cut in two. 
He's the one who's cast out. And he embraces the wrath of God so that you could be embraced as a son or a daughter of God. That's what transforms us into being faithful servants who give their all for the king. That's what causes us to seek the kingdom that is to come and to, and to not be so lost with the things right in front of our eyes. So, come to Jesus. Embrace the true servant. Embrace your true master. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you help us to lift up our eyes, to not be so lost in the weeds of our present day that we lose sight of the King to come? To be ready even. Lord, give us your grace that we would be ready. Ready to embrace rejection, division, Ready to serve as you call us to serve. Father, we need to be reoriented. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing us what it means to serve. For being the master and the servant. Set us free from our worldly cares that we may go forth in holy boldness to proclaim this good news to all the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship God through the giving of our gifts.